Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Psalm 2, 1 through 6. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelman Heidi and David Apple, continuing our walk through the book of Revelation. Gentlemen, how are you? David? Doing well, guys. Merry Christmas to both of you. It's uh, It was a great Christmas down here in Paducah. Well, great. Good to hear. Um, how is the weather down there? Uh, the weather has taken a turn for the more wintry type of weather. It was like 70 degrees on Christmas Day, and it is now... I think it's cold. It's like somewhere in the 40s or 50s. I, my my thermometer reading doesn't go that low, so it's cold and gray and just kind of clammy. Zelwyn, that's going to warm your heart a little bit. How are things in North Dakota? You call that cold? <laughs> I, had to, I had to wear a coat outside today. <laughs> that's, that's that's short sleeve weather, David. Yeah. Well, when I when I woke up this morning, I believe it was something like 20 below. I would say that it's very much winter up here in North Dakota, and we're I think we're supposed to have some pretty bitterly cold days for a few days here, but all in all it's it's pretty good i'm I'm enjoying it. There's actually snow on the ground, which wasn't all that true last year, and I'm looking forward to a good winter. What about you, Willie? Uh, well, um a little bit chilly today in the lower sixties, but we're supposed to be back up into the seventies, and then by Sunday it's going to be like. So it's like Saturday is going to be like 70-something and then 30-something the next day. So y'all pray for Mojo. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a rough one. And then everybody's going to get sick and they're yep. going to go. And, and you know, the people get people in people in the world are weird about sniffles nowadays. You know, and they say the science tells me that these temperature swings and cold weather don't cause colds. But we all know that. And what I'm saying is germ theory is 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 not real. <laughs> you heard it here on Word Fitly. That nonsense about how your your mom and your grandma were always wrong about how you'll get a cold if you don't wear your jacket and zip it up and wear your mittens and everything. Like that's got to be true. Right. Of course it's I true. Mean, it's, and they live yeah, to be old. They live to be old and you can't even you have to have a special lunch to take to work or you'll die. So yeah, <laughs> come on. I I want to know from you guys now, I think we're all Santa respecters on this podcast, so I do want to know what the big guy um, brought brought for you. Can we do, in on top of weather posting, can we do Christmas gift posting? Go ahead, Zoen. I received a lot of food gifts, which I was very thankful for, and I got a very nice winter coat. So I don't know if that's a, I mean, I, I considered it to be a win, a win, but I don't know what you guys would think of it. How about you, D? Well, food gifts are always good. I received many such gifts, and um, I also got um, a great classic game of Rock'em Sock'em Robots. My my oldest son gave me that, so that was nice. a, that was a big a big bonus. Uh, for liability reasons, I will not mention any gifts that I received or did not receive here on the <laughs> podcast. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Sounds like a good Christmas. A, a, a very Merry Christmas indeed. So, and our first one down here in Arkansas. So that was that was nice. The weather, you know, still still a little strange. I have been sojourning um, in the Midwest and Upper Midwest for too long that I had forgotten. Uh, so uh, anyway, that's where we are. So a warm but Merry Christmas here down in the in the new confederacy yeah so. 400 430 years is a long time of sojourning but it's appropriate for you <laughs> tis my curse so <laughs> anyway guys so speaking of curses coming on people uh, we're in the book of revelations <laughs> still and we're getting into the really fun chapter i mean arguably the most famous chapter as far as you know popular culture goes revelation 13 yeah, I think you're right. I think most famous, and I think it is central to the the book's message. I mean, of course, the the goal that everything's pressing towards is the you know Magolden Street streets in the new city at the end of the book. But I think um, chapters twelve and thirteen are certainly at the heart of the message of the book. Well, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of context here? Remind the folks at home uh, where we're at here in the book. What's gonna what's what's happening? Yeah, in chapter 12, we in 12 and 13, you have the vision of the the war that the devil is going to wage on earth against God's people. And so you have in chapter 12, you have the whole kind of condensed history of salvation where the woman uh, brings forth a child and the devil is there. He wants to destroy the child, but he's prevented and so he chases after the woman who's whisked away into the wilderness where she has a protection put over her. And you have the famous Michael, the archangel, casting out the devil from heaven. And then there's this interesting little detail, um, you know, rejoice ye heavens and all who dwell therein, but woe to you who dwell on the earth because the devil has gone down to you and he knows that his time is short. And I think that's a good lead in then to chapter 13 is what is the, um, why is there woe on earth? What is the devil's persecution of the, the women, the woman's other children, by which we mean the faithful members of the church? What does it look like for the devil to wage that war on earth? Well, all right. Well, let's dig right into the chapter then, David. Where do we begin? Yeah, chapter 13 starts off and the, the beast, He's John sees a beast rising out of the sea. Okay, so the devil had ended in chapter 12, kind of standing on the shore. And now there's this beast that he seems to be calling up out of the out of the water. And really what's going to happen in chapter 13 is that the devil is behind these things, these various beasts that are going to arise. And there's going to be an image of the beast that is presented to us by the end of the chapter. But he really takes a back seat and the focus now becomes on these, on these beasts who are the devil's, I don't know what the right word is, guys. They're his, not his puppets, but they're his instruments for fighting uh, against the church. Yeah. The devil works through means as well, which is something we forget too. It's, you know, um, that he has these puppets. He has these people that he uses to do his bidding. Often the devil isn't just going to simply show up looking like the devil. And as of course the Bible says, he disguises himself as an angel of light, but here he is working through, uh, I mean, very clearly wicked government. 
Yeah, so the first beast that comes up, and I think that uh, behind this, in the background, it's not even really all that behind it. It seems pretty like a pretty obvious connection that should be made is Daniel's vision in uh, Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel sees these, um, the wind is blowing on the water, and out of the water rises these four um, kingdoms. These, And in Daniel, it's it gets very specific about these are four world empires. So John, as he's seeing this, is seeing something very much like what Daniel saw. And so he sees, I'll just read it here. I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. Okay. So the, I think there's, there's a lot of details that we could kind of, we could probably just go detail by detail. But the first thing to point out is just the origin of this beast, that it comes up out of the sea, again, connects back with Daniel chapter 7. What are we seeing here? What kind of a beast comes out of the sea? Well, I think with that Daniel kind of understanding of things, we're talking about um, empire powers or worldly worldly kingdoms. Right, especially because the, the Psalms very often speak in this language of connecting water to the nations. So you have like the the tumult of the waves, the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the peoples. So this this imagery of coming up out of the sea are these these powers, these authorities, which are coming up out of the nations of the world and uh, exercising authority through the the power of the devil. Yeah, there. And so a a lot of times what you're going to see here is a connection with Gentile, you know, the sea as a Gentile region over against the land as sort of a Jewish proper, the, you know, the, the promised land representing the people of Israel. We do see something of that, but I think it's, um, whether you want to push that all the way to say this is non-Jewish worldly empires, maybe going too far, but I think the main point is these are world governments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly at the time when John is writing this, the one that is primary is the empire of Rome and the the Roman power that is, you know, through the whole world at this point. Well, if, especially if you connect this to Daniel, which it is clearly supposed to recall, the four beasts in Daniel are clearly representing four different kingdoms, as you mentioned before, uh, the four kingdoms in particular being Babylon, uh, the Medes and the Persians as one empire, and then um, Alexander's empire and its successor kingdoms followed by Rome. So Daniel is seeing kind of a sequential vision of what was to come. And I also include in the the Roman power, the fourth beast of Daniel 7, uh, the successor kingdoms uh, that come out of Rome as well. So kind of a looking forward into the future. What John is seeing here, however, is a sort of composite creature. It is not any one of those four in particular, but I think it's actually all four of them together. You see that especially in verse two, where it says, you know, like a leopard, feet like a bear's, mouth like a lion's. Uh, Those are clearly three of the separate beasts in Daniel that have been melded together into one here in the the book of Revelation. So I, I guess I would see this beast as being the worldly demonic government's uh, generally speaking, rather than anyone in particular, anyone want to fight me on that or? No, I think. Well, explain 
for the folks, uh, what you mean, <laughs> Zelwyn, by these empires being demonic, because I think that's a big part, like Willie mentioned before, the devil works through means, right? When you say demonic, do you, you don't necessarily mean that that everyone is demon-possessed, do you? Or do you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean that these empires are working contrary to God, and for that reason are demonic. If that means that one particular, like, is every individual within that empire demonic? No. But the government itself, because it is fighting against the Lord, and it is worshiping the dragon, you know, worshiping Satan in that sense, uh, it is demonic because it is working contrary to the kingdom of God. It's also not to say that some government officials might not be practicing pure devil worship either. Right. But point taken. Yeah, that, <laughs> I mean, and this this actually fits in line with the way that the Bible talks about the devil's power. He is, he clothes himself as an angel of light, right? He appears um, in beauty. So, you know, I think it would be, maybe naive to think that, you know, only those things which are blatantly, obviously demonic are demonic. You know, that there is a much wider way that the devil operates than just the outright, blatant, in-your-face, evil, you know, kind of rule. I mean, it, it does it does become a bit, you know, tricky here because it has a mortal wound that is healed, and the earth marvels as they follow the beast. They're going to worship the dragon, Authority is given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the Lamb, uh, in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. So, I mean, is there room here then for a great final government? We haven't yet had anyone uh, with the authority over all the earth. The closest you would have is all the known world, and so somebody like uh, one of the Caesars, I suppose. Yeah, this, I mean, so, okay, take take it this way. The um, You could say that this describes Rome pretty well. Julius Caesar is murdered. He has this mortal wound, but, the, but Rome itself recovers. And Caesar Augustus, you know, renews the Roman Empire. And in fact, it becomes even more glorious, supposedly, than it was prior to that. And the whole world marvels at Caesar Augustus and the whole world marvels at the Roman power. So, you know, I do, I do think that there is great value in seeing, okay, this is what, this is the way people thought about Rome at the time when John wrote this. But I also think that, you know, the way that Rome operated and the claims that the Roman Caesars make for themselves are, these things continue to be the way that world governments uh, want people to admire them, want people to respect their authority and look up to them. And, and um, you know, what what world government doesn't want complete and absolute power over its over its citizens? I don't know, Christian kings, maybe? <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, I'm talking about the demonic ones, Owen. It is, the, it's the constant temptation, let's put it that way, for those in authority. I don't think this precludes a final figure. I mean, I've, I've often talked about this when it comes to uh, the, the one who is to come, the, 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 the king who, who will do as he wills, uh, as we hear in Daniel chapter 7. It doesn't preclude like a final figure who will kind of embody this idea or like a final government which will fully embody this idea. 
But I don't think we want to see this as being, oh, well, that's not here yet, so we don't need to worry about it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, yeah, but I think that the real danger is is the other way. It's already happened. I, I think at the very least, if you're waiting for it to happen, you're at least on guard. Sure. The idea that it's already come to pass is, oh, well. And a lot of people do live that way. I'm not saying live like a Millerite and sell all your stuff and, and sit on top of your house, but it's a more call to arms and a call to vigilance to say, Hey, a great deception is coming upon people. Yeah. And think, you know, think in the, in the book of revelation here, the, the lamb, when he appears, John sees him with the wound, but he's, but he is alive again. So the, the beast here that comes up out of the waters is a sort of, it's a mimicking or a mockery, not a mockery. It's a, it's, he's aping the lamb. Right. And this is, you know, even if people don't run around trying to look like Jesus, world governments are pretty well known for trying to instill messianic hopes in themselves. I mean, just look at the propaganda that goes around. You know, that is what excites people. That is what draws their attention. That's what gets votes is if you can be the hope candidate and the messianic figure. Um, So, yeah, I don't think that we want to say well, this happened in Rome, and therefore it's relegated to the past. I think what what I would say is this happened in Rome, and it keeps on happening. Yeah, and I would and I would see in what we see in this passage uh, something that is happening also in our own time. Like you say, you don't want to totally relegate it to the past, and you don't want to totally relegate it to the future. Although you know we certainly see examples of it, but the fact that it that it has a mouth, you know, to utter blasphemous words to exercise authority, to make war on the saints, uh, authority given to it over every tribe and people, language and nation. And the, the fact that people worship it, I think is a very telling thing, because do we consider governmental power to be something that, in in a very real sense, takes God's place, uh, that it provides for us, that it you know gives us security for the future, that we can put our hopes into it? And I certainly think that we see that kind of mentality even today, uh, uh, with the governments of the world today, even if they are not totally united into one. So I do think that this is a ongoing reality, uh, especially because of the composite nature of the beast, that it's kind of every anti-Christian government in the history of the world until it finally comes to its fulfillment towards the end. Yeah, and it's, I think the, the difficulty is that we want to we wanna believe that like there is this just totally neutral thing that the government can be perfectly secular that it you know it's not going to promote any one religion over another and it's just going to treat everybody the same and right this is the lie of new or the myth of neutrality and the myth of a secular government that i think is especially the way that we talk about things in uh in america in the 21st century for those of you, of you who are listening 500 years from now. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, don't you think that that's true? Like there is this idea, hey, you know what? Rome, okay, their Caesars made religious claims. Our presidents and our governors and our representatives, they don't, they don't make any religious claims. So this doesn't apply to us anymore. And I would say even without making the claims of saying, you know, you have to offer incense to a president, they still do make blasphemous claims as to what they're able to do. Well, I mean, hold up. However, you actually are seeing this today. 
you're actually seeing this. Well, one, I mean, we got to offer up something to them or we'll be penalized or jailed. Two, now you can't even speak out against a leader, a certain leader in certain terms, or they'll say it's disrespectful. You have reverence due to this office. And, and, I, and there is something to be said about respect for an office, 100%. But now with a certain person in power, you're not allowed to criticize or say anything. So there are certainly religious connotations to this. They, they make icons of these people with halos around their heads, for crying yeah, out loud. True. And they want to be seen as your savior. They want to tell you what to do. They want to give you their own tablets written in stone. Except the difference is it's a it's a government website that they can edit on a whim. And and so they have their commandments and they have their ordinances and they have their rituals. It's an it's it's, it's a religion by any other by any other name. And it, but it's not explicit like you say. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's really you have to have ears to hear and eyes to see these things to perceive that you know this stuff is not it's not just innocent. Uh, oh, isn't that funny that they put these halos around people's head? Like that's just coincidence, you know? No, these things are not coincidental. Um, they're they're doing it on purpose, and it does it does take the place. It does become a religion for for many many people. Well, with that we've got to take our first break. We'll be right back with more word fitly spoken after this. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zoe and Heidi and David Apple. We're talking Revelation, the 13th chapter. Well, guys, let's take a look at one more verse before we move on to the second beast. Let's talk about Revelation 13, 10. Yeah, so I think that this is a central verse to understanding this chapter because what John is seeing here with uh, the coming of the two beasts, of course, is impressive in itself, and we might get hung up on those details but really, the whole purpose of what John is seeing here is what he calls a call for the endurance and faith of the saints, that we are people who are called to endure, that we are people who are going to be in a war, that these beasts are coming to make war on the saints, to make war on God's people. And it's something that we can't really avoid. It's not like we can run away from this and say, well, I want nothing to do with it. If we are with, if we are in God, we are going to be at war and it will be something that we are going to have to endure and to get through in that sense until we come to glory on the other side. What do you guys want to add to that? 
Well, I just think in your, I think you're right on there, Zoen. The and there is um, just as you read the chapter, you know, you get you get fixated on all the details about what the one beast is doing, and then the other, and then the image, and then the mark of the beast. But this is really the only verse where John sort of. Um, I don't, you know, he breaks the fourth wall, so to speak, right? He kind of takes a break from describing the work of these beasts. And he speaks these words to um, the readers, to the faithful Christians who are hearing his message. And he says, you know, you're going to, you're going to suffer these things, but you must endure. And if you endure, you will be victorious. Right. And that's a theme that pops up again. Well, it popped up before in the, in the first chapter, and it's going to pop up again in the book. I mean, this is a warning to endure what is to come. And there is no glory apart from suffering. Right. And apologies to the first article gifts crowd. Apologies to Pastor Jetski, but that's not a <laughs> Polish name. That's a, I'm referring to a jet ski. But yeah, um, I gotcha. <laughs> I have to explain my puns for some of the folks at home. But apologies, but that that life for you is over. And that there's not going to be another generation of pastors that's going to get to live and now they're 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 going to have to go through the bog that you made of the church, but that's okay because those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life are written before the foundation of the world, so they will endure. And the call is to you to endure, O Christian, and and so that these these guys that are kind of living this life of a very hedonistic lifestyle, just going from one first article pleasure to the next, ain't going to make it. You're not going to make it. Um, you have to learn to suffer, and you have to be ready to suffer, because that will come, and really suffer. I don't just mean no McRib this year. I want to. I want to <laughs> see Willie. I want to see you des- design a logo, um, kind of like you know VDMA style, but I want it to say NGMI on there. I will buy that <laughs> shirt. Not gonna make it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think the the rest of the verse really hits on that too, Willie, because when it says, if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sl- sword, with a sword, he must, must he be slain. And I really think that drives home what you're getting at here is that we can't avoid these things. You know, that if we are going to be imprisoned for Christ, if that is God's will, then it's going to happen. You know, to captivity, well, he goes. The only way to avoid them, Zelwin, is to capitulate to the beast. Exactly. Yeah, you can avoid them, but you lose your soul. Yeah, if so you can you can back away from the the sword that is going to kill you, but yeah, like you said, then you will be on the side of the beast and you will lose the the glory that is of heaven. So yeah, to be a Christian in that sense is to suffer many things. Are we ready for that? Are you ready to be imprisoned if it came to that for the sake of Christ? Are you ready to be ostracized from society for the sake of Christ, if it came to that. I'm not saying that it's going to, and it may not happen for everyone, but are you willing to stand firm if that should happen? Or does the thought of losing your head for Christ absolutely terrify you? Well, or does the the thought of having to give up all for Christ even cross your mind? If you're weighed down with the concerns of this world and only the pleasures of this world, you will not have the discernment necessary to wade through these things. You will only be a creature of convenience. And so, as we're coming in to talk about the mark of the beast, when they tell you to take the mark or you can't buy any more first article gifts, you're going to go, oh, but I really like these things. Right. And you're going to take it. 
And right. it's a stark, it's a stark warning. And heaven forbid I could fall victim to that too. Any of us here in this podcast could, but we pray that we don't. Um, we pray that we don't, and we need to have eyes to see. And that begins with denial of self and letting the scripture speak right. on its own terms. But right. now everybody's, if they're still with us, they've been waiting with bated breath um, for <laughs> the second beast. So David, tell us about the second beast. Yeah. Okay. So it's always good to remember there are multiple beasts and uh, the first beast comes out of the sea. The second beast comes up out of the land. And so you get to, or the earth, I guess is what it says here in the ESV. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. So it does whatever the first beast um, tells it to do. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So these two things are in they're, they're in conjunction with each other. The difference being, I think, you know, you want to look for some kind of distinguishing mark so that it's not we're not just saying the same thing about the second beast that we said about the first beast. Um, and so in verse 13, you get a little bit of the what's different here. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast being the first beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Yeah. He's going to, yeah, he's popping back up later in the book. He's the propagandist for the other beast. Right. And so what I would, the maybe one way to see the difference here, if the sea is representative of, um, you know, worldly empires of the Gentile powers, the land is going to be uh, a figure here for the role that the, at least at the time of when John is writing, that the Jews were playing in connection with the Roman Empire. So now, of course, the Jews and the Romans ended up in a bloody battle in the Jewish-Roman War, but on the theory that this book is written before that, the Jews and the Romans were, at various times, working together to denigrate the Christians and to try to destroy them. I was just going to say, also, at this point, you've got Rome, who basically will set up elite city councils, wherever they are, to um, represent the emperor cult, too. Yes. Right. So, so, so you have, I mean, propagandists have been around forever. But yes, here, I mean, it, it kind of has to be what you're saying, David. Well, or or just in a more general sense, um, it could also be just a, you know, false religious powers in general. Well, this is where, I mean, as much as I say that there won't be a third temple, I think people misunderstand me. Mm -hmm. When I say there won't be a third temple, I'm not saying that it's not possible. They won't build an edifice and call it a temple. I'm saying that God won't dwell there. What concerns right. me, there, it won't be a temple of the Most High God. It'll be a false temple. It'll be a temple of idols. And, right. and, and okay, so if, if the Jews and the Zionists get to build their temple, it is going to deceive and already is deceiving many Christians. And so I do believe that if a third temple is built, it will play a crucial role in the end times, just not the way people think. It will be one of the epicenters for deception, just like Rome will be. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong when I say, you know, generally speaking, this is false religious powers. I'm not saying that this is No, no, like I'm just giving Buddhism an example of what, like I'm just yeah. I'm just naming a false religious power. Right. What what I'm saying is is that this false religious power 
uh, especially because it has two horns that looks, you know, like a lamb. In other words, it looks like the lamb to some mm-hmm. degree, and it speaks like a dragon. It speaks, you know, like Satan. It says satanic things. But the the great signs that it performs, like making fire come down from heaven, you know, that is a sign which Elijah did. So we have counterfeit miracles. All of these things point to a religious force which is leading people astray. I would say, yes, that the, the Zionist kind of conspiracy, even if they do build a temple, you know, and, and, and call it a temple, you know, that will lead many astray. But I mean, even think of like today with various Christ, uh, so-called Christian denominations saying things completely contrary to what the scriptures say or just ignoring the scriptures entirely, you know, even while still claiming to be Christians. Right. But yeah, the only reason I'm fixated here on the temple is that is a force that leads global politics. Sure. I mean, I mean, you could argue, yeah, pe- false Pentecostal signs have a global influence too. And that's absolutely true. Um, there are many, but there are many antichrists in the world. Right. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that we see the application that this has also for our time, lest we put it somewhere so far back in the past that we, we don't see any any use for it today. Oh, yeah, no, I'm putting it just in the in the near future because I, I get, you know, notifications from mailing lists I'm signed up for for research purposes trying to get me to hey they <laughs> they found a red heifer let's get let's 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 buy bricks for the temple or something it is out there yeah yeah, um, yeah so you yeah. you have that that just kind of just outright jewish yeah building the third temple you also have what zelwin is saying where even in our own country um you know those who make public policy and want us all to obey and submit to it. They don't just say, here's the policy, do it. They say, you should love your neighbor because that's what Jesus said to do. And therefore right. submit to us. And so they, they take God's law on their lips without really, you know, um, well, the, they, the, don't, the perfect, they don't care. The perfect example of this is uh, the so-called Pope of Rome, so-called Vicar of Christ who sits in his seat, and binds the consciences of many, especially with regard to worldly politics and other things today. You know, he he is an example of this as well. But you know, keeping big Lutheran hours here, I realize. But <laughs> yeah, sure. Sometimes well, you you know, sometimes you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, especially like let's say with the Pope or something like that. You know, he he cloaks what he is saying in you know very outwardly so-called Christian guise. You know, I am the vicar of Christ. I am the one who's speaking for God. And I am saying you have to take the vaccine, like Pope Francis says, or, you know, you have to do something for the sake of the environment. You know, all of these political talking points, which are now being put into religious terms. It is pointing back towards the first beast in whose service the second beast is. Right. Right. On well, that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. And... uh <laughs> You know, this is we see that we see that repeating throughout history. So the second beast is acting as a propagandist, and then he is going to do what? What's it, what's all this about an image? Yep the the outcome of all this this um, religious fervor that gets stirred up and concentrated back onto the first beast is that um, there's going to be the creation of an image, an idol, for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived, and so the second beast 
gives breath to this image. And then the image of the beast um, is even going to be able to do similar great signs. And the image of the beast is what's ultimate. Am I reading this right? Let me just get it from the text so I don't misspeak here. Also, it, that is the image of the beast, causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both slave and free, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is the name of the beast, or the number of its head. Right. And some of the debate here is, is so in verse 15, it causes those who wouldn't worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes both great and small to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. So some people take that the fact that it mentions the slain first to mean they'll all be slain and then this will happen. I don't think that's what that's saying. I'm saying both of these things will happen simultaneously. It's saying sure. he'll be killing the people who won't bow to it and will be marking the people who do bow to it. And so, um, you, because otherwise you end up with that dispensational premillennial, oh, well, that's why you'll be able to escape all the bad things. You'll either get raptured out or die. And that's not what it's saying. These two things are going to be happening. You'll be given a choice. Worship the image or don't. Worship it and live. Don't worship it and die. Yeah. One thing that I do want to emphasize before we really dive into talking about the image and especially about the mark, because I know that's where everybody wants to go right now. But one thing I do want to point out here is in the Old Testament, frequently, whenever it talks about these kinds of images, these kinds of idols, as you called them, David, and I think that's right on, uh, is that they are, you know, they can't speak, that they can't act, that they can't do anything, you know, because they are not God. And, you know, we get this, especially in the major prophets, like with Isaiah, you know, the, the craftsman takes the, the wood out of the forest and shapes it and then bows down to it kind of a thing. That's a stupid thing to do because it is a mute idol. It has no power to do anything. But the, the second beast in this case has taken that kind of an image and has given, given it a kind of life. And I think that's what makes it so deceptive. Instead of being, you know, just, oh, well, this is a, an idol like of old, we don't worship those kinds of idols. This is an idol which appears to act like God. It appears to have life, and for that reason is so much more, uh, much more dangerous. Yeah, it's a, it's a talking image. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it's so strange. Well, and it and it what's interesting there, Willie. I think I know where you're going, and I I think there would have been a time I would have laughed at what you were suggesting about a talking right. <laughs> image that was like you know in every home, but it doesn't say like how it causes these things to happen. So it doesn't. I think when you read that, it causes everybody to take this. You think like, okay, it's going to cause this by force, but there's many kinds of causation in the world, and um a talking image can influence the way people think and act without necessarily exerting an external force on them. Right. It can just uh, be very convincing, right? Yeah. And all very strange, and it really gets the noggin jogging. But as we talked about before, and as we're going to talk about with the mark here and with the uh, the number and all of that, we, we tend to have that idea, oh, they're going to hold these people down and force them. No, they're going to line up for this. They are going to line up and 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 take this mark. They're not going to need to be forced. They're going to be very relatively easily convinced. I don't think a lot of people are going to do it out of fear. Uh, some people will, but it doesn't seem to be the main. They are devoted 
they are devoted to the image and therefore devoted to the propagandists and therefore devoted to the first beast. Well, you, you think, think even in terms of those Old Testament idols too, you know, the, the non-speaking images as it were, they did not do the things, I mean, they, people didn't worship them because they were forced to. The people came to worship them because they came to believe that they had power, that they had, that they were able to do things for them. You know, see, you prayed to this God or whatever, and then this happened. And so that's proof, so, so to speak, that this God is real. And that's how it came to have this, this power over the nations or even over Israel. Well, even, even in this way too, the speaking image, the, the image of the second beast, is going to uh, bring about that kind of same influence. You know, this we said that this was going to happen, and see, it happened kind of a thing, so you should believe what we say. So idols always have been this kind of persuasive kind of a thing rather than purely by force. Yeah, I mean, and there's also that this is the god of our of our land, of our region. You know, he this is this is who we who we listen to. Well, this right. image is talking. Everybody else listens to it. We all have brought it into our homes. Surely they wouldn't lie. Surely it wouldn't lie to us. So we've got to listen to it. <laughs> what and, is and, this image, Willie? I'm not really right. sure what you're getting at here. Well, and and everybody, everybody, you know, before certain events were like, oh man, all those liars. Man, I'm I'm counterculture. I would never do. I would never listen to that. Uh oh, we better gather around the image. I better pull the image out of its of its handy uh, carrying case on my side, depending on your age, right of my pocket. It must listen to the image <laughs> and what the image tells me. I'm not saying this is what John was talking about. I'm just saying it's still the same thing. So <laughs> it's the same idea. So many people who thought that they couldn't be deceived when things got a little little sideways were did what they're told. And that's what happens in the cases of uh, pagan cultures in, in the Old Testament, too. A lot of it were people doing what they were told and what they were expected to do. Because that's what Moloch said, or that's what Baal worship says to do. Right. And so um, it's it's much easier to deceive than it is to lead. It's easier to let a sheep wander off and go astray than it is to drag her back into the sheep pen. Well, which is why... The miracles which the beast works don't even have to be genuine. You know, no, it could no. it, it it could be totally fake. People can maybe even know that it's fake, but they still want to believe. You know, they're they're deceived by it because it's easier to go along with it than it is to resist it. Just like selling snake oil. Just yep. like you know, people want to believe in it. Well, we we can show you that this doesn't work. Actually, it can make things worse or keep things basically the same. No, I'm pretty sure the snake oil is working. They they told me the snake oil works, and I took the snake oil and my my uh, I took the snake oil for appendicitis so that my appendix was never burst. But I got appendicitis, but it can't be the snake oil that didn't work. It had to be the <laughs> other guy, you know. Imagine, so it's always just yeah. imagine how bad that appendicitis would have been if you didn't take if you didn't snake take the snake oil. Yeah. If you didn't take it, it would have been worse. Imagine how bad inflation would be if you if you if you didn't take the mark. You know, this well, is, all right, guys. This is getting too deep for me. So, <laughs> well, all right, guys. We will get to the mark of the beast and the number of the beast in the next segment. Lord willing, we'll be right back with more word fitly spoken right after this.
Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zoe and Heidi and David Abel. We're talking Revelation 13. We're talking the first beast, the second beast, the mark of the beast, and his number, and generally making everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> All right, David, where are we going next? All right, so uh, we didn't really discuss what the mark does um, for a person who receives it. So we could go there, or we could go right to the number. What's your preference? Now let's talk about what you what the mark does. Okay, so the mark uh, either well, if you have the mark, you're allowed. You have access to all the economic, the economic world that the that the beast controls. If you don't have the mark, you don't have access. So the mark gives you this access to the market. Um, or as it says, I'll just read it, that no one can buy or sell unless he has that mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So this, it seems like a, uh, you know, I, again, okay, Revelation is apocalyptic. And so it's speaking in veiled language, but seems pretty clear here either you have if you have this mark on you then you are free to buy and sell otherwise uh, you're out of luck right you yeah. just got to you got to provide for yourself well and i think a lot of people too are looking for that physical mark but it seems to be in contrast i mean it's a seal okay um god's name seals his people uh revelation 14 yeah. uh you know you have god's name on their forehead or name of Christ and the Father, however it's put exactly. But so it's an inversion of what God does. So we understand that. We can get kind of bogged down in what exactly it's going to look like. But I think the arm and the forehead, even if it ends up being a physical mark, is actually meant to to show loyalty and devotion. Um, right. You know, right. So, th- so that's we got to make it clear that it, at the heart of it is where one's loyalty and devotion lies. Right. Because, again, I think if you took it purely in... A physical sense, like it's going to be some physical thing which you can somehow avoid in that sense. I think that makes it a little, I don't know, a little less dangerous if that makes if that makes sense, because it is in that sense the devotion which one shows in making these demonic powers, which with making this demonic religion, this demonic government, your lord and god, and in that sense, your total fealty to these powers is what gives you access to the things they claim to control. Right. And and so here's what's, you know, here's where people kind of go. Well, all of these people are taking the mark because they're worried about buying and selling. No, they are devoted to this thing. The the prohibition against buying and selling is to ostracize those who would not take it, to try right. to coerce them into taking it. So it's not like out of real fear the devotees of the beast are taking it. It's out of they're they're willingly doing it. It's out right. of reverence and respect and, and duty to the beast. So before we get uh, in the weeds on this, and we will, um, we're going to get the number of the beast. And everybody knows the number. It is 666 or 616, if you want to go with a variant reading. Well, Zelwyn, why don't you just tell the folks at home what that means? <laughs> I'll just, just lay it out here right now. <sighs> Yeah, this is one of those things that I think there's been debate ever since John wrote it, what exactly he meant by the number 666. Although I I do think that it's not so much 666, like it's not that number in particular, but it is uh, three sixes together that I think is is the number, or, you know, or 616, you know, six 
six six, not six hundred sixty six. If that makes any sense. I mean, it literally this is what it says, though. <laughs> right. Well, my the distinction being here, and this is, I guess, the way I would take this is uh, the number six being short of totality. Right. So if if three and a half, for example, is half of seven, and six is not quite seven. It shows that this is something that is not of God. Now, you could very well make this a numerology thing to figure out, you know, is this a, a name that it spells out? And I think you could make a case for that sort of thing. But I do think that the number of the beast shows that, first of all, it's temporality. You know, it's not something that goes on forever, even if it claims to, as well as it's essentially non-divine character. Right. And we've brought we've talked about the 666 versus 36 thing. I just feel the need to explain this to the folks at home. Okay? It's hexa cosioi hexa conta hex. It's 666. Okay? <laughs> um literally in Greek. Now, you get to the same place Zelwin is because you're magnifying the 6. 666. It's it's piling sixes upon sixes to show how evil it is. My whole thing about about doing the Greek is, and that'll probably be the first and last time I ever. I don't think say you've Greek. ever said Greek out loud, and on that this was podcast, from memory, so. so it's probably a little bit. <laughs> it's probably pretty close, but anyway, the point is, people get superstitious about it, and so they, you know, they get their deep fried whatnots at Arby's, and their total is six dollars and sixty six cents or something, and they right. get worried about it. Just, just calm down, folks, <laughs> or or any anything with that any string of numbers that would have three sixes no matter how spaced out it was that kind of thing now granted when you see patent number six 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 yeah okay that gets a but i'm not saying that i'm saying that these people devotees of the beast would do that intentionally because people who serve the antichrist like to reveal what they're doing but my point in saying all this is to just not worry about any every time that you see three sixes that's the only reason so if, if we've ever been unclear that's what we mean by that and yeah, Zoe, I think you're absolutely right, but you're right. We could get into the numerological part of it where it ends up equaling the number of Nero's name. Right, right. And actually, I think that that's a safe one to go with, and let me tell you why. Even if it it even if you say, "Okay, this represents Nero," even if it's written past the time of Nero, here's what you end up with. Well, that makes sense though, because Nero is kind of the he's the prototypical and stereotypical now persecutor of the church as far as Roman emperors go. So that if I say someone is a Judas, I'm not saying he is Judas. I'm saying he's a traitor, like unto Judas. So if I say this guy is a 666, if I say this guy is Nero, I'm telling you he is a man who will kill Christians and persecute the church. So that you can take it that way without it being only the literal Nero. Right, right. Which in a in a way kind of ends up being the same thing. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. So exactly, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I just took the long way to get around to say we're agreeing. It's just I feel the need to, you know. Yeah, it also yeah. what I, I'm with you on this, Willie. The um, I, I know Zelwyn does not like anything that is remotely cabalistic, so he does not <laughs> like any as numero- I should numerology. Yes, right, and I'm 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 in support of that, Zelwyn. So I say more power to you, but. That also then helps you understand the variant readings where the number is six, 616 um, because you can do the same. It's just a different calculation. Instead of going from Neron Caesar, you just have Nero Caesar. 
And that's yeah. how you get that alternate number. So, okay, which is the original reading is not the important reason why I bring up that manuscript difference. The point is some people were translate were calculating that number differently, but the difference was uh, in the end didn't amount to a difference because it's it has the same reference point. Yeah. So it's a code name for, you know, this this evil being and and identified with those like him who came before him. And and so people would the audience would understand this. Right. So anything else to say about the text before we move on to some other questions about it? I think when we're talking about the mark and especially the loyalty which it in, is entails and the the name the number, you know, the way this all meshes together is a a kind of total devotion to both which is expressed in this way uh especially with the, the number of the beast. So it is a it's kind of a package thing. We don't want to think of it as like separate little individual elements that kind of work separately of each other. All of this is pointing towards one thing, which is to point back towards the first beast so that the inhabitants of the world may worship it. So we need to kind of take it all together is all yeah. I would say. And no, that's a great point to make, Zelwyn. And that so that kind of brings it full circle to this is the way that the dragon Remember how we said at the beginning, uh, behind the beasts is the dragon. And so, you know, how he wages his war is not simply by destroying people's bodies. I mean, that is part of the threat that he, um, you know, wants to kill the body. Uh, but really, the destruction of the soul and the turning of a person's soul from the worship of the true and living God to these worldly, otherworldly powers, total devotion. I, I think that's a good word to use here. And loyalty to non-divine things is ultimately the dragon's purpose. But where do you want to go, Willie? <laughs> well, you know, everybody listening, most listening are going, okay, so are we in these times? Yes. <laughs> Unequivocally, yes. We are in the time, you know, where the church is suffering persecution. But the real question is, are we in no, no, Willie, are we in those times? <laughs> and so <laughs> it's a question you have to ask yourself. You know, I think the last couple of years have caused a lot of us to reevaluate some things and to perhaps take more seriously certain things that the scripture warns about. We have seen the threat of ostracizing people from society if they wouldn't take a certain thing. That really makes one wonder. And a lot of our people are probably wondering if that is in fact the mark. You know, because I can't, I, I can't, I might not be able to work without this. I might not be able to go into a store and, and shop without this. What, what do we make of it? So what do you guys think about that? Well, I think we've said it before on this podcast, but I would say that it is a type of, but it is not the mark. Yeah. In the sense that we're seeing how the mark is supposed to function in what is happening. That doesn't mean that if, you know, this is the mark. Yes, you know, I mean, it, it, it just because I think the, the mark itself will be a much more overtly kind of, you know, devotion kind of thing. Yeah, we've not moved into full on religion either, but I, I do think it's. I mean, I'll just speak frankly. I, I believe that um, these things are coming, and they're probably going to come quicker than what we think. Everything technological is moving much faster than it did, you know. And maybe we had more advanced technology in some lost period of time. That's an episode for another time. But, <laughs> but you know, the world gets completely destroyed then too. 
<laughs> so the uh, but anyway, uh, as technology continues to move, as people move further away from Christ, they will seek out religion. Uh, we saw the great experiment with secularism die a very quick death, uh, the communists in the 20th century. So I don't think we're going to see that. I mean, we're not going to see Bolshevik style uh, communism, atheistic communism. You're going to see something more overtly religious. I'm not making predictions here. I'm just saying this is kind of seeing the handwriting on the wall, what could come down. Something will need to fill that religious vacuum and the state will be more than happy to do it. There will be false signs, just as there have been false things that have led people to take these other marks uh, and other types of them throughout history and recent history. You know, it always makes me perk up when I see that NASA is hiring uh, theologians to discuss what would happen if extraterrestrials would be revealed. The Bible does say there will be deceiving signs in the heavens. So be on the lookout. We did a whole episode on UFOs talking about this. So that there are great signs coming that will deceive, if possible, even the elect, says the scriptures. And so as uh, hipster theologians out there will roll their eyes at this podcast, which they probably won't listen to it anyway, but you know, they would go on Twitter and they want the, uh, the respect of the world. They would roll their eyes. They've got as many jabs as they're going to be told to get. And, you know, you, some of your establishment theologians will go right along with this. Um, you need to be on guard here because in these early days, if you're going to be deceived by even little things, you will absolutely be overwhelmed by the great things that are to come. And the Bible does say there will be signs. There will be false miracles and signs in the heavens. And so what will you do? What will you do when you're confronted with them? Will you have eyes to see through them? And uh, so that's why we talk about these things here. It's become passe because they're going to say, well, you, you sound like Hal Lindsey or you sound like some crazy Dispy. I would think all of my anti-Third Temple talk would uh, would make it very clear <laughs> that word fitly spoken is not Zionist, nor is she pro-dispensationalism by any by any stretch but what what do we have guys here's the risk here we run the risk of sounding silly and perhaps crazy to people that's our risk i mean there could be others you know losing our worldly station i understand that but the risk to the people who won't hear the gospel and who will be deceived by the beast and and, and who will become slaves of the dragon their risk is damnation and so i can either make friends with the world for twitter clicks and for book buys, or we can warn people of the wrath that is to come. Which way, Christian man? Which way do we want to go? Yeah, I think, you know, when we started this revelation um, walkthrough, I don't know, how, was it three years ago, two years ago now? I mean, I think this was always sort of where we were going to end up. But I, I um, you know, in for many reasons, I try to delay these episodes as much as possible. Zelwyn and Willie know this. Uh, maybe our <laughs> listeners don't. But one of the things I kept thinking was, if we just give it a little more time, these things will become more clear. Either it'll become clear, no, this is not, you know, we're not living in these kinds of times. Or, and that's what I was kind of hoping for. Or, <laughs> because I just want to grill, you know, you understand me. I just, I, you know, I don't want to live through hard times, but okay. Or I figured it will become more and more clear. And I think you see the way that the narrative that is put before our eyes, the way that it is constantly explained, it only goes in one direction. Um, it never reverses itself. It never goes back and says, hey, you know what, we really took this too far. We went to, you know, it's just always one way and it keeps going more and more that way, which makes me think very much like what, you know, the way you put it, Zelwyn, 
this may not be the ultimate mark, but it is, it has all the, the signs of it. And I mean, ev- everything that we're reading here in Revelation 13 seems to fit, which should give us a lot of caution, especially about where we're putting our loyalties and our trusts in terms of, uh, you know, following along with the narrative, as well as the actual acts that go along with that loyalty. Yeah, you know, and what what could happen is uh, the the devil will try to get you to let your guard down. So things could relax very soon. You know, we could, some of these regulations could become a distant memory, but there will be another reason to impose very similar things after that. So don't have a short memory. Remember what you lived through if things go that way. You know, so of course, we're not saying the people who took this are taking the mark. We're saying that this this is a test case, as, as Zelwyn said earlier. This is kind of a, a dry run for, for what is to come. And, and so... The Lord has tarried. There is still time. There is still time for now. Uh, I do think that, gentlemen, we've probably um, experienced the last normal day in the history of the world uh, almost two years ago now. <laughs> so we will see. Uh, we will see where it, where it keeps going. Zelwyn, you're being quiet over there. Well, I'm just listening for a little bit, but <laughs> I, I, and I think when it comes to dealing with these things, especially when. Dealing with the the future is now old man approach that you have, Willie here. But <laughs> I'm not a futurist. I'm very much a this is the present. Yes, <laughs> it's not the future. It's today. <laughs> uh, I mean, we just have to realize that there is, like you say, a progressiveness to this. There is an intentionality to this. There is a constant. Not you know trying to overwhelm you all at once, but kind of doing it little by little, kind of a thing. You know the 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 frog in the boiling pot kind of approach to things, so that you eventually end up at a point where they say, "Well, you did this and this and this and this, so why won't you do this?" You know, so it's going to be that constant kind of push, that constant kind of pressure to go along with a government and a false religious system which is purporting to be God which is claiming to do all the things that God does to be in control of the future, to be in control of the present, to be able to provide all things for you. You know, it is very much, you know, they will claim to be God, just not in so as in so many words. And we have to be prepared for that. If we're not ready for that now, if we're not, you know, already at peace with the idea that we're going to suffer, you know, all kinds of things, then (laughs) we're not going to make it is what I'm saying. Yeah. So we need to, we need to be ready. David, any final words? Uh, I would just go back to, uh, you know, it was back in chapter 12 where you have the devil thrown down out of heaven. And it did say, you know, woe to the earth because all these things are coming on you. But it also says he knows that his time is short. So the call to endurance, uh, the call to maintain the faith, the call to vigilance Remember, the time is short, even though it feels like a long time for us, and you can, you can actually make it, right? NGMI uh, does not apply to, to all of us. We will make it through these things by the Spirit's help. Amen. Well, this has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Wendy Grills, here with Zell and Heidi and David Apple. God love you, and God bless.
I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spoke, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body was destroyed, and given to the burning flame. Daniel 7, 9-11